0: Welcome to the Lincoln Road Chapel podcast. We're a church here in Waterloo that exists to become a thriving community of Christ followers. Our mission is to love God, make disciples, and serve our neighborhood, city, and the world. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about Sunday morning worship, our ministries, or how to connect in community, visit our website at (laughs) lrc.church. Welcome, good to you once again. My name is Reg Lewicki, lead pastor of the church. And um, hey, if you've been traveling with us over the course of the summer, you may be acutely aware that I got a haircut um, <laughs> because it's not subtle. Uh, and so this is a tip for you. Um, the tip is that you should pay attention to the thing that your barber is saying to you uh, because originally I was like, well, just go about half the length. And then she started talking about uh, clippers and I wasn't really paying attention. And then there was one shotgun and I was like, well, this is... I am now, and um, it'll grow on me, and by that I mean it will probably grow back, so anyway. My mom will love this. Uh, My wife will be less impressed. She likes a little bit of hair, but anyway. All right, as we start this morning, I'm going to quote a Three Dog Night song to you, which is something I never thought I would ever do, um, just in general life, never mind in a sermon. So my dad is loving this moment because Three Dog Night to me reminds me of driving in a car with him and and listening, you know, Jeremiah was a bullfrog and all that kind of thing. But what's that lyric, that one lyric that I'm thinking about, Three Dog Night, that says uh, one is the loneliest number, right? Yeah, I think that's Three Dog Night. Uh, That's what Google told me, so... Um, I wonder when the last time was that you had a feeling of being lonely, or a feeling of being alone, and statistically speaking, for many, if not most of us, it's probably been pretty recently. Uh, There is um, a study out right now, it's called The Roots of Loneliness, and I went on the site and it's been updated as of about a month ago, so it's quite recent, and it does a deep dive basically of the American experience but it talks about other places too. It talks about Japan, it talks about Europe, it talks about Canada. And one of the things that it says about us in Canada is that 25 to 30% of our population feels persistent loneliness or social isolation. Uh, Within that American context, the numbers reveal that 73% of both Gen Z and Millennials experience loneliness. That number drops down uh, for Gen uh, X to about 30%, but about 56% of those who who are from 50 years of age to 80 years of age, they experience feelings of isolation. It's interesting to me, uh, back in May, we had a day of discernment and we had these dialogues. One was around discipleship, but one of them was around this idea of outreach. And And the outreach group, as we kind of talked, we were talking a little bit about the different ways that we could reach out into our community. And we began to identify, you know, some areas, some places where we could serve and where we could reach out. And, and, and we talked a little bit about, you know, engaging with those who struggle economically. And we talked about uh, reaching out to those who are new to Canada. But the predominant identifying marker that came out in all of our conversation in those groups was an understanding that people are isolated, that people are alone, and it intersects with us. It doesn't matter who we are, right? It's, it's indiscriminate in that sense, and the church has an opportunity to enter into deep and meaningful relationship with people who are lonely. There's so many reasons for any one of us to feel alone. It could be relational, Right? could be that we have a lack of community in our lives. It could be the places where things that are familiar to us are absent, and so we feel a disconnect. Maybe it's internal. This is maybe something connected to our uh, mental health. Maybe it's just this overriding sense that we're misunderstood, that people just don't get us, and I feel like I'm doing this by myself. We feel isolated when we are overwhelmed, when we perceive that others are set against us. And the tricky thing, is that things are not nice, neat categories, right? It's not like we just have one or the other. Sometimes these things overlap in our lives, and they just sort of compound the problem. And often when this is our experience, even as those who are followers of Jesus, our loneliness begins to expand outwards, and we can feel as though God is distant, that maybe God is absent or has forgotten us, and that can be an altogether different and disorienting place to find ourselves. I don't know in your life where you would identify that you feel alone or or what kinds of things promote a feeling of isolation for you. And while we would long for a quick fix, we have to understand that these kinds of experiences are often a little bit of a journey. This is again why the Psalms are this excellent resource for us to turn to because so many of them are rooted in an experience of being alone, of being lonely, of feeling somewhat lost. We help us see that at times this is actually just part of what it means to be a human. This is something we all experience one way or another. And so the Psalms give us words, right? They give words to our feelings. They provide a framework, for lack of a better word, of self-talk, something that we can speak to ourselves as we do the honest and real work of trying to walk through how we're feeling. And so Angela's already told us this, but we're looking at two Psalms this morning. We're looking at Psalms 42 and 43. They are actually one literary unit that have been separated in the Bible, probably has something to do with ancient Israel's liturgy pattern that they've been split up. But you can turn with me now in your Bible to Psalm 42. And we'll be looking at Psalm 42 and 43 together. And these two poems or prayers, they open up the second section of the Psalms. The Psalms can be divided into into five groupings. And this is the one that opens up that second grouping or that second book. And so as we read these verses together, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'm gonna invite you to do two things as we hear the words. First, I want you to open your ears and to listen to what is being said and say, okay, where in this text is it resonating with me? Where is the Psalmist saying something that, that, that seems to be describing where I am in my life right now. And the second thing I want you to pay attention to is the things that are being repeated, what's being echoed throughout the whole text. So this is Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 begins this way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As you were listening or maybe reading along, what jumped out of the text at you? What part resonated with your life story? Where did you feel like the psalmist was saying your own words? As I said earlier, these two psalms are one literary unit and you can see that within the repetition of a number of lines. There's a number of times that the enemy says, where is your God? There's the times that we just read where it said, why do I have to go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? But the central thing that keeps coming back and back and back is this threefold refrain about um, being downcast, right? Disturbed within me, putting our hope in God. And that's the structure. What we see within Psalm 42 and 43 is this alternating pattern of lament and then a refrain, and lament and a refrain. The context of these Psalms is not completely known. Uh, The title attributes it to being a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's likely that these psalmist was a a part of a group of temple musicians that kinda comes out within the early parts of the verses. And what's clear, and and we're gonna walk this out a bit more, is uh, that the psalmist is not in Jerusalem. In fact, chances are the psalmist is not even within the promised land anymore of Israel. Has been pushed away and is experiencing all kinds of feelings of isolation and confusion and pain and the reason for his distance from home, it's unknown. Some commentators wonder if he's sick or ill, and he's unable to travel back to the temple. Um, I think a better way, maybe a helpful lens to read this psalm is to the idea of being in exile. And, and a large portion of the psalms are written during the exilic or the post-exilic works um, of Israel's story. And and, uh, it's especially true when you get to these Psalms that are filled with lament. And so while we often talk about the Exodus or the Passover as being sort of the big central story of Israel, where where she was formed and her identity was given, and the thing that she would always go back to that explained who she was, uh, the Babylonian exile was a period of sobering reality for Israel forced her to wrestle with the fact that as the covenant people of God, she had a responsibility in how she chose to live. And if she were to depart from it, if she were to dismiss the way that God had called her to live, that was not a neutral decision. It came with all kinds of disorientation and difficulty and ultimately destruction. Judah knew that she was the chosen people of God, special to him, bound to him in covenant. In which he would work on her behalf even as she was his representative to the wider world life in jerusalem was wrapped up in these promises that god had made and they were these visible symbols which served as markers that reminded them ah god is our god and we are his people the land that they lived in was a promised land promised first to the great patriarch abraham the temple was the place where god's presence dwelt the reminder that he was among them that he lived with them There was always a a descendant of King David on the throne, the one through whom God led and ruled his people, and there was security in those symbols. There was comfort to be found, a reminder that God was their God, and they were his people. But see, waywardness in the forms of idolatry and injustice, a refusal to be in right relationship with God or or in right relationship with one another, uh, you know, brought warnings But this was a pathway that was leading nowhere good. Prophets came and said, God is no magical antidote who will protect you from the consequences of your willful disobedience. There are consequences. And so there was this call to repent and to return back to who God was, but to no avail. And so Jerusalem falls. The great temple of God is left in ruins and the people are driven from their land to go and live in exile among the Babylonians. They're now ruled by a different king and his powers. It would take 70 years before they could return home. What kind of home was it? The temple is rubble. A foreigner is still on the throne. And the prophets, they spoke of God's grace. They spoke of God's coming redemption. But the exile and the years that followed were visceral. They were characterized by being isolated, by feeling rejected by God. And whether this Psalm was written in the early years of the exile or not, the words of the text capture and evoke the emotion and the feeling that ancient Israel would have felt, the the sense of loneliness, the sense of despair. God, where are you? And so we lay that as a potential backdrop today, not to undermine our individual or our our corporate sense of loneliness and pain that we might be experiencing right now, but rather as a way to some sense, normalize it. But this is actually a part of what it means to be human at times. It's critical that we understand that as the people of God, we're not immune to loneliness. We're not immune to this feeling of being lost and even being forgotten. So the Bible provides for us this framework to navigate and journey through it. It allows us to acknowledge and even affirm the things that we're feeling, knowing that they're real. Even a place to articulate and lament it before God, even in the places where we're not even sure, are you listening? Are you even there? It's an anchor or a method by which we might not stay burdened to the existential weight of it, but that we might look up and look forward and have some measure of hope in spite of our circumstances. Psalm 42 begins with this line that that worship choruses have lifted as a line of devotion. And I think it certainly can capture that sense, but this is an illustration of desperation. This is an illustration of deep longing, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. This is not a picture of a deer who is tired from playing in the field and coming upon a stream and drinking deeply and sort of quenching its thirst. This is a picture of a deer wandering from dry bed to dry bed during a drought, longing for streams of living water, longing for the water that would bring life consumed by a search for relief. The psalmist says it this way, my soul longs for you, the living God. The the Hebrew is the word nefesh. And the idea of of a soul in Hebrew thinking was not just this disembodied part of me that kind of floats around after I die, but in actual fact, it's my entire being. It's the inside of me and the outside of me. Nefesh is my entire life. And in fact, a lot of times, the word nefesh is sometimes used to represent the throat or the neck of something. You understand that through your throat, it's the place where you eat and you drink and you breathe, the manner by which life comes to you. And so the picture here is one of the psalmist who feels as though his whole life is a drought. He's wandering in desperate search, not for living water, but for the living God. When can I go? He desperately asks. When can I go? and meet with my God. I am dry and I am parched from the true source of my life, the living God. Here we hear the first taunts of those around him, evil men saying, where is your God? Take a look at your life. Look at the circumstances. How real can God be if this is your lot in life? And so the picture for me is again this man living among Babylonians who have been convinced that their gods must be mightier and the great God of Israel, and telling him that his worldview and his faith has let him down, that he's put it in the wrong place. But you see, this sparks a memory for the psalmist, the remembrance. He says, I remember how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festival throng. It's interesting to me that in his longing to meet with God, he is not drawn back to an individual experience. He's not longing for something to happen in his morning quiet time or at an individual retreat, but something that he longs for is communal. And that's not to say that God doesn't show up in our individual lives. He's not concerned with us as individuals as we individually pray or, or read the scriptures. He absolutely does. But I'm just reminded again that God's plan for his people is to be a people that we would be in community, that the life of the Christian is a communal life. It's something that we do together. It's a part of its design. And so for the psalmist, he feels truly alone because he is. The temple, the place of worship and festivity that had been such a critical part of his faith over the years, it's gone. And with it, the community of people that he would gather and worship with. I think it's important for us here in the individualized Western world in which we live that we don't lose sight of how important it is to be in Christian community. That we understand that church is not something that we consume, it's not something that we try to get something out of, but rather something that we invest in alongside other people. That we engage in community, that we follow Jesus and we are formed by his spirit together. Christian community is critical because at some point in your life you will need support. You will need people to come alongside of you and to lift you and to carry you in times of weakness or doubt or silence. And then likewise, we need to be people who are listening to the stories and the lives of others around us, that we'd be the people to speak a word of encouragement, a piece of wisdom, some grace in the lives of others and carry them in their difficulty as well when I decided to pursue a pastoral ministry as a vocation it was at a time when the undergrad degree that I had you know planned to do and I had great plans of where that was going to lead to it really wasn't coming through for me I'd graduated of my undergrad and, and it wasn't panning out for all kinds of reasons and I had this plan for my life I, I knew where I was going I knew what I was going to do but it just wasn't unfolding like it was supposed to and so I remember when I was deciding well maybe I'll go do my MDiv and, and a big part of doing my MDiv was I just kind of wanted to do it for me but I also knew that this was probably gonna open the door uh, for vocation, ministry vocation. And so um, I remember inviting others into the process and being like, is this crazy? Some of you might be like, I think it is crazy. <laughs> but there was one woman in the church I was at, her name was Shirley, and in particular, she was a voice that spoke into my life. As I shared my story, I shared my struggles, uh, as, I, as I wrestled to discern, is this the right step? She affirmed not just the decision, but she could articulate by watching me the places where she could see God's hand at work in me already. Here I was, I was two years removed from graduation. I was discouraged about my future prospects. I was wanting God to show up and I wasn't sure what he was doing. And then when he did, when he showed me his will, he did it in the context of community. He allowed the voice and encouragement of other people who knew my story and knew what I was going through to speak into my life. For the psalmist, it's not just that he's alone and longing to connect with God. He knows a part of his isolation is that he's been removed from this life giving community. That when he was a part of the living, worshiping community, he was able to see where God was working in his own life, but also at times when he couldn't, he could see God at work in the lives of other people. But it is the memory of what has been that allows him to speak the first of the three refrains to his own soul to his own self he says why are you downcast O my soul why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god he acknowledges how he feels but he speaks a word of encouragement to his own soul an exhortation to himself put your hope in god i will yet praise him i feel alone I feel separated from community. I'm longing to meet with God as I have before. The pain is real, but the story is not over. And so I put my hope in God. From there, the psalmist moves to the next section, and the self-talk, this exhortation, it doesn't act as a cure-all. The next verse, in verse 6, he continues by admitting, "My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you." He's still in a place of isolation. He's still in the place of loneliness. And here he begins to articulate that his feelings are not just because he has been separated from community, but he begins to speak in geographic terms. He's near the source of the Jordan River in the north. The location is not certain, but it does give the impression that he is no longer in his homeland. Again, this is consistent with that idea of being in exile, that he has been pulled from his home country. He's been made to live in a foreign place with a new culture and a new way of life. And this reminds us of another kind of loneliness. That, that there's the loneliness that comes when we feel like we have been separated from community, but there's also a loneliness that comes when all the things that are familiar and comfortable have been taken away and you're in an unknown setting. When um, I was in university, my parents, my dad in particular, would uh, direct kids camp at Joy Bible Camp. And um, you know, lots of years, we would all volunteer up there. This year, I was away at university, and so my older sister was cabin leading, and she was in a meeting with other cabin leaders, and uh, one of the cabin leaders said, could you pray for this little girl in my cabin, uh, Rebecca? She's, she's, she's very lonely, and she's very homesick. And my sister says, Rebecca Lewicki? And she's like, yes. And she's like, that's my sister. And both of her parents are at camp. They're the directors. Like, why is she homesick? And she went to her and she's like, are you out of your mind? Like, You can't be homesick. Your whole family's here, except for the one that doesn't matter. He's off at school. (laughs) And she said, oh, I don't miss you guys. Like, I miss home. Like, I miss my bed. I miss my room. I miss everything that is comfortable. You know that feeling, right? That's what it really means to be homesick, right? And so that's what the psalmist is feeling. And to describe it, the picture he uses again is water imagery. Remember earlier we talked about water being the source of life for a deer that was just parched in their throat. But here the psalmist paints a picture of water that overwhelms. This is how he's feeling. He says, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. And this is a sort of conglomeration of different water views, right? There's waterfalls and the ocean waves and this idea of the deep. And the deep might be a callback to pre-creation where the Spirit of God hovers over the deep, over the place of chaos, over the place of emptiness. The idea of waterfalls crashing around, think about how loud that is. It's a picture of being overwhelmed and overpowered by its force. Waves coming in from the ocean, wave after wave after wave. The ocean is so uh, vast, it's a never ending onslaught of water pounding against the coast. This is a picture of a man in an unfamiliar place, and he is overwhelmed by it. He feels lost and out of place and alone. And this is the loneliness that comes when we're away from home, away from what is known, away from what brings us comfort. And here again, he remembers. What he knows to be true that in the crashing waves of uncertainty and change he remembers god is my rock and yet then the second voice comes god where are you if you are my rock why have you forgotten me and again the taunts of the enemy look where you are look at your lot in life where is your god The isolation is real, and I can imagine that he takes another deep breath and he begins to preach to himself once again, it seems. He says that refrain, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, and my God. This concludes Psalm 42. And as you turn to Psalm 43, it's the third verse of lament. And here he moves beyond moaning and despair. And he actually begins to kind of yell out at God. He begins to say, God, where are you? Why are you not acting? Vindicate me, O God, is how it opens up. Remember me. Act on my behalf. Do the thing you're supposed to do. The psalmist feels alone because he's been separated from community. He feels isolated because he's been removed from the place that was home. And now he feels alone because everybody around him seems to be set against him. Rescue me, he says, from deceitful and wicked men. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? For the psalmist, it feels like it's him against the world. It's not just that the community is absent. It's not just that he's not home. It seems that he is the target of an enemy. The ones who taunt, where is your God, are doing even worse. They are lashing out and going after him. And again, in the place of despair is the question, God, not why have you forgotten me. God, why are you rejecting me? Why aren't you stepping up? I'm in a place of wilderness. I'm surrounded by enemies. Where are you? But again, he remembers. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. The beginning of Israel's story was coming through the chaos and the power of water with a Pharaoh's army behind them. They came to the Red Sea and they crossed the Red Sea safely, but that led them to the wilderness, a nomadic home where everyone and everywhere around them, there were enemies. And how did they get through? You go back and read the story, God goes before Israel in a pillar of cloud and of fire and God invites them into relationship with him by giving them his law. And so the circumstances that surround the psalmist in his own mind, these are not new to God's people, and history has told him that God leads them through his light and his truth, the pillar of fire and his law, and promises to bring them home to him. And so the psalmist allows himself a moment to believe it, that it'll be true for him as well, that he will go again to where God is, that he will worship him with joy, And so he again sings the refrain, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Loneliness, isolation, confusion, despair, these are not things that the people of God are immune to. They're characteristic at some point in the journey of life, and when we are in them, it is easy for us to feel like God has abandoned us that he's forgotten us, that he has rejected us. The truth is, in those times, God may be quiet. He may be moving in ways that we are unaware of. Sometimes he's quiet because we have, we've taken ourselves in a place away from him. And I'm not sure which of these sections of lament resonate most with your story. Maybe like the psalmist, there's multiple versions of it that that, that are part of who you are. Sometimes we find ourselves actually, actually alone, right? Sometimes that's a result of the loss of a loved one. Maybe a breakdown in some relationship. Maybe because we've disengaged from communal life. Sometimes we find ourselves overwhelmed by the uncertainty of a new place that doesn't seem like home. We enter into a new stage of life. Graduation leads to a brand new set of responsibilities. Getting married, marriage means now having to share your life with another person, right? We change jobs, we change schools, we move to new cities, we connect at a new church. We retire and we have to reinvent how we spend our days. Sometimes we feel shut out by others, that it seems as though the whole world is against us. Nobody gets us. Nobody understands us. Maybe they disagree because it's our faith in Jesus and they, they, they look at it disparagingly. They look for places to antagonize us. These are just three kinds of loneliness. There are many other kinds of loneliness and despair. Your story is your story and it's real. The isolation that seems to plague our society doesn't sidestep us because we follow Jesus. Loneliness and isolation is indiscriminate at times. It's not concerned with your education. It's not concerned about your uh, marital status or your socioeconomic state or your background or or whether you're engaged deeply in spiritual practices or not. Life's hard. Life has a tendency to isolate us at times. And in those times, we can be clouded from seeing or knowing what God is doing. And so in places like that, we can turn to Psalm 42 or Psalm 43. and We can find words words that let us know it's okay to articulate our loss or our loneliness. They let us know that the Christian life is a mingling of times of faith and doubt, even as it is often a mingling of joy and sorrow. But most of all, Psalm 42 and 43 invite us to be people who remember to remember the stories that we know and the places where we've already seen God working in our history and in our lives, that we would fight the urge to brush them off or or to explain them away and only focus on the present. They remind us that the journey can't be done by ourselves, that we need others to help carry us. We need to be prepared to do it for them when they need us. In Western thinking, um, we often think in a linear format, right? You're always building up towards the main point. Well, in ancient Eastern writing, particularly ancient Hebrew writing, often the critical point of understanding is in the smack dab middle of a passage. And if you were to take Psalm 42 and 43 and put them together, at the very middle you find Psalm 42, 8, which says this, by day the Lord directs his love or his hesed, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. All around this verse are swirling circumstances of the psalmist's life that have led him to feel alone, have led him to feel overwhelmed or rejected or oppressed. And in them, he continuously comes back to a refrain. We've read it how many times? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Don't give up. My story is not yet over. But how can he do that? How can he keep coming back to that refrain? because circumstances aside, he knows that verse eight is the reality, that this is the one place in the whole Psalm where he uses the name of God, Yahweh. He remembers that this is the God of redemption, the God of covenant, the God who's at work for his good, directing his said towards people. And because he knows that this is fundamentally true about who God is, that this is how God has chosen to reveal himself, He can trust, and he can believe, and he can have hope no matter what the circumstances around him. And so the call is to persevere. I don't know your story today, where you feel alone or or where you feel isolated, where you're overwhelmed or burdened or oppressed. It may be well that you're in a period of time where it's very hard for you to see or to hear God, that it's difficult for you to remember that he is Yahweh. But remember that he is Yahweh, that he is the creator, the redeemer, the covenant God who has made himself known in Jesus of Nazareth, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And he has promised to make all things, even the circumstances of your life right now, he's promised to make them right and whole and good. So don't hide what weighs you down. Acknowledge them before God. Appeal to him to show up again as he has in the past. Bind yourself to him by binding yourself to community with his people. And believe that he is Yahweh, the God of Hesed, who is working for your good always. And as often as you need to and more, remind yourself with the refrain, put your hope In God, I will yet praise him. Our stories are not yet finished. And so may we allow room for God to write his redemptive chapters in them as he continues to call us home into his life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you said in this world we would have trouble. But you also said we could take heart because you've overcome the world. And so in the moments where we feel like the water is crashing around us and we feel overwhelmed and lost and alone and we have trouble seeing you or hearing you i pray that we would remember who you are that we would remember that you have overcome the world and that you plan to make all things right help us to have faith in the midst of doubt help us to be honest with you and honest with others may we bind ourselves together as a community may we walk with each other as we struggle And in all of it, may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you that you meet us even in these moments of loneliness and despair. So may we truly be able to put our hope in you and believe that we will praise you again, for you are good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or thoughts on this teaching, feel free to reach out because we love to connect. For more information about our church and all the things happening in the LRC community, you can visit our website at lrc.church. See you next time.